Well, good morning, everybody. If we haven't met, my name is Lisa. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And I love this video because it actually, I feel like it was made for today. As many of you know, we're in, we're in a series in the book of Matthew. And today we're actually going to land on the story of Jesus calming the storm in Matthew 8. But before we get there, I want to share a story with you. And you may think while I'm sharing it, why is she doing this? What in the world does this have to do with Scripture and what we're going to talk today about today? But hopefully it will make sense um, as I talk it through with you. So this year for Christmas, my husband Mark and I, we have two adult sons. And they were so excited to share with their dad what they got him for Christmas. Most years, they don't even get us anything for Christmas. But this year, they were super excited because they put their money together and they had gotten their dad the Oculus Meta 2. Are you, do you know what that is? Raise your hand if you know what that is. Okay, for those of you who don't, it's like this virtual reality machine that you put on your head, right? And they had purchased a particular game that they could not wait for Mark and I to play. It's called Ricky's Plank Experience. Have you heard of that? Anybody here done or heard of that? Oh, great. So what it is, and actually I'm going to show you uh, what it looks like just so that you have a feel for it. But what it is, is, you go in an elevator, you go up to the 50th floor, and you walk out on this plank, and the goal is to jump off the end of the plank, right? And it's just virtual reality, so how hard can it be? So just so you can see what it's like, um, I shot, we shot like just a little video of what it's like. So check this out. little hairy. It sounded like it was a little scary. And so because the boys had told us about it, I actually went on YouTube and watched people do it and thought, I am going to show up my boys because they had told us their experience and they had like freaked out on it. I'm like, how can you freak out? You're on the floor. Like how hard can it be, right? So now I'm super excited to show you this video of me. Now don't show it yet. Of me um, doing this. And again, you know, I'd watch the videos. I had psyched myself up. Lisa was going to show up her boys. You guys are going to be so proud. So I'm going to only show you the last 16 seconds of it because it was really like a two-minute video that my, my son took this last 16 seconds of it, unbeknownst to me at the time. But it was perfect, apparently, for the sermon today. So um, anyhow, look to see how I responded. You guys are going to be so proud of me. Here we go. Oh, <laughs> oh I can't do Okay, can't do it. Thank you. I already turned it off. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. I can't. You can also just go back down to the ground by taking the goggles off. You okay, could. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was me, you know. And it actually took me two more times to be able to do it. I mean, like seriously, like psych myself up to do it. Now, it's funny and all, but it kind of bothered me, right? Like, again, I knew I was on solid ground, but for some reason, I couldn't do it. And finally, 
the time I did do it, I just said to myself, I put the things on really fast, I walk out to the plank and I just like close my eyes and jump off. Why I closed my eyes, I have no idea. I was still standing on solid ground, but I closed my eyes and jumped off. And I remember in that moment thinking something like, I, the only way I could get through it was to remind myself that I wasn't seeing the whole picture, right? That I actually knew I was standing on solid ground, that I had that truth. Now, why am I telling you this embarrassing story? Um, because in our passage today, in Matthew 8, we're going to find the disciples in a state of panic, just like I was. And they too would need to be reminded that sometimes what you see is not the whole story. And just how the only way that I overcame my fear and state of panic was reminding myself of the truth that I was standing on solid ground. The only thing that would help the disciples get through the storm would be for them to re be reminded that it was all about who was in the boat. It was all about who was in the boat. Um, well, I can't wait to unpack this for us, you guys, today. I learned so much myself, and I want to um, express it to you and, and hopefully have you see this story in a different way. I think it's a story we're probably very familiar with, but I hope by the end of our time together that you will be so encouraged by who is in the boat. So I'd ask you, would you just pray along with me as I invite God into our time together? Lord, this passage is so familiar. And yet, um, Lord, it's so full of your power. I, God, I invite your Holy Spirit to work in us today. Lord, may you give us a renewed view of the reality of who you are. And may it calm our hearts and our minds that no matter what the circumstance is, God, you are in control and you are there with us. Thank you in advance for the work that you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you or your flat screen devices, uh, go ahead and open up to Matthew um, chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses um, 23 through 27. And it says this. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Well, this morning, we're going to unpack this passage verse by verse. And there's a couple things that I want us just to be aware of as we navigate it. Number one, that sometimes what we see is not the whole picture. And second of all, the most important thing about this story is who is in the boat. So the story start, starts out with, then they got into the boat and his disciples followed him. So just to give us a little context as we enter into this passage, it's been a really long day for the disciples and for Jesus. As we've seen over these last number of weeks, we've been moving slowly through the book of Mark. We saw that Jesus that day healed leprosy. He healed the centurion's son. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. 
that evening he'd driven out spirits of those were brought to him that were demon-possessed. He healed all the sick that were brought to him. And a little earlier in chapter 8, in verse 18, it says, When they saw the crowds that were growing around him, he gave orders to go to the other side of the lake. So after all that, they decide to go to the other side of the lake, and then along the way, and Jay taught on this yesterday, or not yesterday, seemed like yesterday, last Sunday, um, he stopped twice to talk to two different men who wanted to know what it would be like to follow him. So finally, it's evening time, they get to the, to the Sea of Galilee, and you know, sometimes we think we have a long day. Wow, Jesus had had a long day as well. And this verse tells us that he got into the boat with his disciples and that they followed him. And at this point, Jesus, um, for the disciples, truly was the man who was in the boat. They were following him. So they were doing just exactly what they had been doing. They trusted who he was. They were following him into the boat. Now, it's important for us to realize here that Jesus is the one who planned this particular journey. He's the one who chose to get into the boat. Unbeknownst to the disciples at this time, they followed him into the boat, but this path would lead them right into a storm. They wouldn't know it for hours later until well into the throes of the storm that the reason he went by boat was that he might have an occasion to manifest himself, the God of not only dry land, but of the sea as well, to show that all power and all authority is his in heaven and on earth. Wow. And we thought he was just getting into the boat to get to the other side. Sometimes what you see is not the whole picture. This passage goes on to say, suddenly a furious storm came on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Now what you need to know is the Sea of Galilee was and still is infamous for sudden and violent storms. They occur because of the geographical conditions that are there. The water is 600 plus feet above sea level. The land to the east is considerably higher. As warm air rises from the lake, it creates a vacuum that the air on the west rushes in to fill. And this brings strong winds on the lake with little warning. Well, this day, I don't think the disciples saw it coming. Otherwise, they probably would have said, hey, Jesus, is probably not a great idea for us to go that direction now. Many of the disciples were seasoned fishermen, having spent countless hours on the Sea of Galilee and had experienced many storms before. But this was no ordinary storm. And it came suddenly and it came furiously. In Greek, this furious or great storm means a mega seismic, almost like an earthquake. It might be better seen as a hurricane-forced storm. In the Gospel of Luke, where this storm is also told, it says a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. So just sit with that for a minute. It's pretty hairy. Well, here is perhaps the most remarkable thing about this storm. It came when they were in the course of simply following Jesus. They were doing everything right. And yet a violent and life-threatening storm fell on them anyway. I think there's a great spiritual lesson for us to learn here. 
We shouldn't ever think that just because we're following Jesus, we have a right to be exempt from the storms of life. But here's the good news. He does promise to be with us in the storm. If I were to ask you what is probably the most famous psalm in the Psalms, what would you say it is? 23. Very good. You could even say that more forcefully. You were right. Psalm 23. Absolutely. Well, this first section of Psalm 23 is where I think most of us want uh, to spend the majority of our lives. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Doesn't that just feel good? It does. He guides me along the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Wait for it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yes, a good shepherd leads his sheep through the valley. The key word, though, is leads. Jesus reminds us in Romans 8, 28, and we know in all things God works the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Wait, in all things? All things God works for the good of those who love him? There is a purpose and a plan for your storm. James 1, 1 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials or storms of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Maybe the question isn't so much why this trial or this storm, but rather how Will you use this storm to grow and mature me in this season? Jesus could have prevented the storm. It could have been smooth sailing that day. But although they didn't know it at the time, this storm was for their sake. Their faith and trust in Jesus would grow because of it. Well, we see next in the midst of the storm, what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. How can Jesus sleep at a time like this? You know, it would be easy to mistake Jesus' sleeping, what seems to be inaction, for indifference or for not caring. But as we'll soon see, Jesus is anything but indifferent. He was able to sleep because although he was fully God, he was also fully man and was exhausted from the long day he just had. But for another much more profound reason, he was able to sleep because he wasn't in a panic over the circumstance, because he knew the storm was under his control at all times. He was in the Father's will, and he knew that no matter what else happened around him, his Father's will would still be fulfilled in him. He had no reason to be afraid. He also knew that the time for his death had not yet come. Here, we clearly see that sometimes what we see isn't the whole picture. God doesn't not care. 
but he's at peace. And there's a good reason he could sleep. It goes on to say in verse 25, when the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. I want to give the disciples some credit here. Um, their fear probably didn't come up right away as the storm did because they were seasoned fishermen, many of them. I'm sure they did everything they knew to get things under control. Um, but when they finally realized that the storm was way beyond them and they were at their wits end, they go and they decide to wake up Jesus. They did this by crying out, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now, it's awesome that they acknowledged him as Lord, isn't it? I mean, that's the best thing we can do when we're in a storm. Acknowledge God as Lord. And they got right to the point. <laughs> they were really specific. Didn't use a whole lot of words. Just save us. We don't have to be wordy, right? Like, just save us. And here's where it went sideways. Then they said, we're going to drown. Here's where their lack of faith showed up. What did the disciples do? They come to Jesus, which is the right instinct, but then they inform Jesus of the end game. They were going to die. This showed their lack of faith. The disciples lost sight of who Jesus was and what he could do. What they knew to be true about Jesus was not penetrating their thinking or their actions. And I wonder if a part of their panic might be revealed in a deeper fear. Had he stopped loving them? I could just hear, I, I want to say Peter, I don't know why, but I could just hear Peter crying out, Lord, what is the matter with you? This is too hard. I don't deserve to face this right now. I left my home and my job. Look how I followed you. And now I'm facing this because of you. I'm tired too. Why haven't you solved this, Lord, Messiah? Don't you care about what's happening to me? Why can you sleep during this? Don't you care if I drowned? Sound maybe familiar? I think that happens to us at times. Even more likely, though, I wonder if the disciples feared that Jesus was not who he claimed to be. They had left everything to follow him, seen him release his power over demons, heal with the authority of God. They were starting to come believe that he was the long-awaited Messiah. And now he was going to drown in a boating accident. They might die here because the man isn't the Messiah after all. I just want to pause here and acknowledge that we're no different. If I'm honest, there have been many times in my life where I've cried out to God and asked the same questions. Where are you in this storm? Why aren't you doing something about it? Don't you care? I thought you loved me. And it's okay to have those thoughts and feelings. In fact, there may be some of you here today that are thinking those exact same things. It's okay. But God wants us to move past those feelings. 
And what I've come to realize in these times is that the problem isn't so much the storm on the outside as it is the storm going on inside of me. I believe before Jesus can calm the storms in the sea, that he wants to calm the storms in our heart first. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious about every, anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The disciples had the right idea. They cried out to him. They asked to be saved, but they didn't trust him for how that might look. And so he replies to them, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Jesus didn't wake up and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I let this storm happen. Hang on a minute while I get to it and, you know, make it better. No, Jesus is never caught off guard by anything. He wakes up and probably says, what is wrong with you guys? I'm literally here in the boat with you. Kind of feel like it's almost that. But in all honesty, he doesn't chide them for disturbing him with their prayers, but for disturbing themselves with their fears. You see, the Greek word for faith was the opposite of fear means pistis. It means to trust that his will is for our best. It means to be loyal. And it applies a heart of surrender. And Jesus is saying, where's your faith? And it's just so little. And little faith is insufficient faith. It wasn't that they had no faith, but that it was insufficient for the circumstances. And then he goes on to ask them, why are you so afraid? And here, the fear isn't the fear that for me first came to mind. Well, hello, we're in a storm and we're drowned. It looks like we're going to drown. It's not that fear. It's actually this timid cowardliness. They had just seen him do multiple, multiple miracles earlier that day. Why would their first assumption be that they would die? It's been said that faith is incompatible with fear. You can have faith or you can be afraid, but you cannot do both at the same time. Either your faith will drive out fear or your fear will drive out faith. To Jesus, the problem is rarely the problem. He can fix the problem in an instant. To Jesus, the problem is our response to the problem. Are you going to trust me? After all these things that you've seen me do, after all you know about me, are you still going to freak out? Is my presence not greater than your problem? Is my presence not greater than your problem? Tim Keller has this convicting quote that may be hard to hear, but I think it rings really true. He says, if you have a God great enough and infinite enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering, you also have a God 
who is great enough and infinite enough and powerful enough to have reasons to allow you to suffer that you can't understand. But you can't have it both ways. Sometimes what you see is not the whole picture. If Jesus is in the boat, you're not sinking. It's not going down. Whether it's a storm given by Jesus to test our faith or one allowed by him, as we know the enemy still has reign on this earth, regardless of why or what the storm, his presence is with you and it's greater than the storm. We're reminded in 1 Peter 1.7, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Wow. There's a reason to have deep faith that he may be glorified and praised and honored. And when our faith is genuine and anchored in Jesus, here is what he promises us. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then John 16, 33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen? Those are promises that we can hold on to. Then this passage says, He got, out, got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The text says that he got up. We've seen a sleeping Jesus showing us his full humanity. Now we see a Jesus who stands and rebukes the wind and the waves, showing us the deity of Jesus. We see Jesus who is fully man and fully God. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 expounds on this. It says of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities, all things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What suddenly came upon the disciples as this mega seismic storm now turned into this mega seismic calm. Just like that. The storm doesn't just settle down, it literally stops. The waves don't lessen, there aren't just like little ripples, no. Immediately the water becomes like glass, perfectly still. This doesn't happen. Only through God. Many of the disciples had long been equated with the sea and had never saw a storm like this stop immediately. This happened in a moment's time and with the words of Jesus. He proved that the storm was under his control. He is able, if he so commands, to turn a great storm into a great calm. 
Verse 27 goes on to say, then the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Amazed in the Greek actually means to marvel, to be in awe. And it actually implies this sense of worship. But I want you to notice that the disciples don't marvel that the storm stopped. They're not marveling at their new circumstances. They're marveling at the man who stopped their circumstances. The disciples being Jews knew that the stories in the Old Testament about God, about Yahweh, he was the only one who calmed the seas. Psalm 89, 8 and 9 says, Who is like you, Lord Almighty? You, Lord Almighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging seas, and when its waves mount up, you still them. Psalms 107, 28 through 30 says, They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm with a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Only God has power over the sea. And so Jesus was showing by this miracle that he was both God and man, that he was the long-awaited Messiah. The man who ordered the wind and the waves to cease, who brought about the great calm in its place, was none other than the Son of God. And therefore, they had nothing to be worried about. They were under his sovereign control. He had authority over everything on earth, including the most unpredictable and uncontrollable things. This same Jesus, who exercised complete authority over the storm of the Sea of Galilee, also has authority over the storms in our lives. He may, in his wisdom, and believe it or not, his love, allow us to experience them. But they are never out of his control. And we will get to the other side. I want to wrap up um, our time this morning with a story about when I was a little girl. I was probably about 10 years old or so. Our family grew up near the San Juan Islands up in Bellingham, Washington, and we grew up having a boat. It was a 50-foot crisscraft. For those of you that are boaters, it sounds great, and it was. But having moved to California, the, you know, ski boat seems a lot more fun. But anyhow, I didn't know about ski boating, so hey, the crisscraft was great. And the thing I loved most about our boat um, was not so much what you'd think. Although I loved being out in the water, and although I loved all the things that I got to see as we were out there, and just the adventure of being on the water, what I loved most was actually being with my dad. You see, I loved my dad. He was awesome, but he wasn't home a whole lot when I was growing up. He owned a chain of grocery stores called uh, Super 24. They're kind of like a, a 7-Eleven, and um, and they were super, for those of you that needed to buy groceries, 24 hours a day, you could be there. But it wasn't so super for our family, because anytime there was a problem, dad was at the store. So you can imagine the reason I loved being on our boat so much was because it was there that I had my dad's undivided attention. 
he always seemed so relaxed. Nobody, it was before cell phones, right? Nobody could get a hold of him. He was just out there and he was fully present. And I loved especially that he trusted me to help with things while boating. Well, one weekend, our whole family was out together um, on an island, and we were told that this huge storm was going to hit later that day. So my dad made a decision to fly my mom, my twin sister, and my younger brother back home. But he needed my older brother, John, and myself to stay on the boat with him to help navigate to this other island where we needed to get to before the storm hit. Um, and, I, you know, we were the crew. I was so excited to be, you know, with my dad and with my, my brother. I just, it was awesome. Well, I can tell you, I honestly don't remember much at all about the journey um, to the harbor that we needed to go to, to this other island. Um, I do know that the storm grew while we were getting there. And I remember my dad being very clear in his instructions. He's like, John and Lisa, when we get to the dock, what I need you to do is throw the buoys over the side, and then I need you to jump down and tie the ropes up as I navigate the boat in. And this is a pretty big-sized boat, so it's a pretty big job, right? I was 10. <laughs> it was so crazy. Anyhow, um, but what happened, by the time we got into the harbor and we got to where the boat would um, tie up next to the dock, the storm was really, really powerful. And so actually the harbor master had guys down on the dock. We did put the buoys over the side, but we threw them the ropes. We were not to get out of the boat at that point. And my dad, you know, it took some time. Those of you, I see Gary out there like trying to navigate the boat. It's a big deal. Back and forth, back and forth. Finally got it next to the dock. Um, and the dock actually, interesting enough, you know, the waves were crashing against it, but it actually looked like it was doing the wave, you know, like it was going like this. It was crazy. So what I remember was my dad navigated, we got the boat there, he turns the boat off, he goes and jumps off the boat, and then he looks me in the eyes and he says, Lisa, look me in the eyes, grab my hand, jump off the boat. So I looked him in the eyes, I grabbed his hand, I jumped off the boat, he took my hand and he walked me through that to the shore. And you know the craziest thing as I look back? I was not the least bit afraid. Not the least bit afraid. I wasn't scared at any point in it. And you know why I wasn't scared? Because it was my dad who was giving me instructions. It was my dad who said, look at me in the eye, grab my hand, and walked me to the shore. He'd never given me any reason to doubt that I wouldn't be safe when I was with him on the boat. I just had to grab his hand. Psalms 91, 1 and 2 says this of our heavenly father. He who dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. I will say the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I want to show you a picture by the artist Scott Erickson. You guys can bring the picture up. The tagline on Scott's website regarding his artwork says this, it's not just a story that happened then, it's a story that's happening right now. And he paints these beautiful pictures of different stories in scripture. Take a look at this one. I want you to invite you 
to imagine for just a moment that you're in that boat. What might you be afraid of? What is the storm that you're currently facing? Is it a health issue? Something maybe related to your job? Relationship issue? A loss of some sort? I don't know, but he does. Look who you've got in the boat. Look how his hands, his loving hands, are surrounding you in the boat. Not just one hand to grab, but both hands in the shape of a heart. In the posture of worship and with a heart of gratitude, just take a moment to reflect and let that reality sink deep. He's got you. He loves you. It's all about who's in the boat with you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being in the boat with us. Lord, grow our faith. Help us to trust you with the whole picture, the things we don't see and the things we do see. We choose to rest in your loving hands today, and it's in your powerful and loving name we pray.